Yo, what's up? This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a music producer, artist, and entrepreneur. I make music for that space between the dance floor and the bedroom, which has been streamed millions of times and been licensed by brands big and small, including companies like Apple. I believe that regardless of what you produce, whether it be music, art, physical goods, or even spreadsheets, you have a process, whether you know it or not. To explore this further, I created the Producer Head podcast. Producer Head is a place to have conversations with other producers about their experience and process to share what works and what doesn't, to help each of us learn and improve our own processes along the way. Today's guest is Just Jared, a New Jersey-based producer who has built an audience and grown a business through a body of work built on consistency. He offers sample packs as well as personal coaching to producers. Here are a few of the topics Just Jared and I discussed during this conversation. Building an audience and growing your online presence, strategies for recognizing content that you already have and are overlooking, the role of sustainability and consistency, self-limiting beliefs, and the appreciation that the shortcut is the work. This conversation is packed with real tactical information for anyone interested in social media marketing. You can hear how much work and experiential learning Jared has accumulated through his years of creating content and building his business. I know that for me, it has served as a great reminder that we already have everything that we need to begin, that we begin where we are. The idea that I need to buy a new camera or piece of equipment may actually be a self-imposed limit that prevents me from moving forward. It prevents me from learning through action and where I am now. So I hope that you take in this conversation and realize that wherever you are is the perfect place to begin, continue, and change. Okay, with all that said, episode four of Producer Head with Just Jared begins now. Yes, sir. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Producer Head. This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. Today we have Just Jared on the podcast, and I'm very excited to get into what we got today. So anybody out there looking to improve as a producer or in general, no matter what your creative sort of aspiration happens to be, if you're working on growing your social media following, if you're working on launching some sort of digital product, whether it be a sound pack or an album, a single, whatever it is, you're in the right place. This man has a lot to share. Jared, welcome. Thank you for that intro, man. I appreciate that. Makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely, man. Just Just speaking facts here. So let's just jump right in, man. Tell us a little bit about your origin story, how you started making music. I always listened to a lot of music and actually my roommate, my freshman year, put me on to like vinyl records and listening that way. And we would have like these listening sessions basically every Friday night, more or less, because he would always get new records. So like we would all sit together and all of us would like listen to a new record. Um, And often that like over the years, again, since I was freshman year, by the time senior year came, I was also collecting vinyl. I had my own record player, like same thing, had a setup and was like really into it again, mostly inspired by him. And just again, seeing other people, I went to school in Boston and seeing it's uh, there's a lot of people in the community over there to go see people touring or to go see little music acts and uh, little venues and stuff like that. So that whole, again, three years or so, I'm kind of condensing. But by the time I got to my senior year, it kind of culminated to wanting to start making music and seeing these other people doing it and hearing artists like uh, lo- mostly lo-fi artists for this stuff, such as like BSDU was one person I remember in particular and Tampa Beats and hearing what they were making and realizing to myself that I could probably make something similar to them. It wasn't some like crazy uh, musical thing. Like I don't have a music background. I have basically zero music knowledge or like music theory knowledge. Like I, it's like the most basic stuff. I always tell people like I just hit hit things because I'm a drummer kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like not 
barely even know that much about that. I just do what sounds good to me. And that's kind of how it always came. But again, hearing them do it and hearing them use things like samples as well made me realize that, oh, I can just make the drums and kind of chop up some samples and have fun with it that way and do some basic music stuff. You know what I mean? Like play a bass line over it or whatever, but you don't have to be super technical. And when that happened, again, so senior year, I started actually getting into music production. And the first thing that I actually downloaded was FL Studio. I found like a free version of that. And eventually, uh, after messing around on that for about three months, I caved in and got a machine, uh, which is still the same machine that I have today, the machine MK3. I said, I'm going to like make this investment and actually uh, work into like learning this piece of gear and learn how to use the DAW and stuff like that. And from there, kind of took off and got a little bit more serious in terms of making beats and just making the music. And then by the time uh, I graduated college and stuff like that, I was making decent beats. Like I could actually make a song. I could play some stuff through. And by the time about a year after that, I had been working. I worked as a civil engineer. And um, when the pandemic and everything happened, that's when I actually started to get on Instagram and started to take it more seriously in the business stuff and do some of those things that you were talking about earlier with the with the packs and stuff like that. Mm. So that's kind of there's a lot of stuff that happened in between that, but that's the uh, the condensed short story version or somewhat short yeah. story version of it. Interesting. Oh, so you studied engineering in in college? Yeah, exactly. I studied cool. engineering. Uh, I did civil mostly, uh, like focused on a lot of like structural and geotechnical stuff was like what I enjoyed. It's dope, man. Interesting. Interesting. How do you think engineering influences the way that you think about making music? I think about, I definitely think it influenced me a lot. I look at it more as a, engineering is a skill set to me as an overall to being a creator, being able to like create things or problem solve for anything. And what developed for me was a reasoning and a first principles based system to, again, solve these different problems that I was facing. For example, figuring out how to learn music and figuring out, hey, what's like the simplest solution that I can create with the resources that I have and actually get to where I need to go. And it was utilizing different skills like that of just kind of different thinking methods from engineering and applying them to it. I wouldn't say it's like, oh, I learned all this different calculus and these different like static stuff or structures. And I applied that to like music. It mm. really like that. It was more just like this overall thinking that you can solve through any problem as long as you put yourself through it. And often people refer to this as like a growth mindset. And I think that, I guess, in terms of like a specific thing, that's probably the biggest asset I got from uh, engineering school and working uh, as an engineer in general. Very cool, man. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. This makes me think if I'm a producer and maybe I just bought, you know, I got excited about a certain producer and it made me want to start making beats. I went out and bought a machine or I just got Ableton or Fruity Loops. What do you think, you know, if you were to start over again, what are some things you can offer to people getting started that are good places to start when they feel like I have no idea what to do? Yeah. So the first thing that I'd say is if you have literally no idea what to do, like look up a tutorial on stuff, like use the internet. We have all these free resources out there now and definitely go look stuff up, like use Google. That's actually probably the other thing that going to college in general taught me how or taught me was how to use Google. Hmm. That's actually a huge skill that people don't know how to do, how to actually ask the right questions and search the right things to find an answer again to problem solve. So if you can look up the right tutorials when you're trying to figure things out, 
um, and get like the right language around it. So like, I remember, for example, when I first started out, uh, again, going into lo-fi music, they use side chains a lot. And I kept mm. hearing that, but I didn't know what the hell compression was. I didn't know any of that. And I went into it for about three or four months, couldn't figure out what, what it was called. So I couldn't even look it up, like how to do it. I kept looking up just like how to, how to like duck things. And I would like do it with volume basically, or try to like gate it or stuff like that. And it wasn't until I actually watched a whole bunch of tutorials and figured stuff out. Again, this is a little bit deeper than just the beginning phase, but it was like, holy crap, this is what compression is. And then realizing that you can use compression to sidechain. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, watching tutorials gives you the language and empowers you to ask the correct questions and talking to people in the community also and getting these other connections in that way allows you to build the language that you can use. You know, uh, there's like a quote, language is the limits of your world. And it's like, if you can't have the language to do something, you're very limited in your ability to um, like work through it, if that makes sense. So yeah. that's like the beginning thing. And in terms of the tutorials, again, if we're a beginner, you have to make sure that you're actually applying the tutorials. If you watch a tutorial, when they give you an instruction, pause it and go do the thing. Don't wait until the end of the tutorial. Maybe it's like a short tutorial. That's fine. But like, don't wait until you've gotten like a hundred pieces of instructions to try to like work through it, like work through it step by step. And it will make it so much easier for you over time. And I guess the last thing that I would say for this, or the third thing is create an overall project or something that you're working towards, just trying to like create music or learn how to do a specific uh, like sound or like, oh, I learned how to do this new thing in the arrangement or like a melody or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's cool, but we need to apply it to something. And if you have, let's just say you're working towards making a small EP, or for me, it was a drum pack, or for other people, it might be literally just to like collaborate with somebody or put out their first single, whatever it is, have something that you're working towards. And that will actually instigate the correct questions to get to that end goal again because we're trying to create the the path to get there so that's what i would say for anyone like looking to start off those are probably the the first places that i would go to it's like using the resources that you have and then implementing them when you actually get instructions is like super important and that last thing that i also just talked about yeah that's dude that's that's really cool i mean i think I listen to what you just said and it kind of makes me think, you know, you have to learn to like kind of hunt and gather, you know, which is sort of your Google piece and so that you can consume and eat good things. But at the end of the day, you're trying to cook so that make sure that you don't kind of spend too much time in the phase of hunting or, or eating and stuff yourself because then you're never going to make anything. Right. Amazing. Uh, I really like that analogy, dude. I'm going to have to steal that one. Give you credit. No, sure. I don't, I don't own any of these ideas, man. Yeah. It, that's cool. Um, I really like that. So go. yeah, so tell me a little bit more, man. It's interesting. So it's like you started making music, you got interested in it. You kind of apply a little bit of that engineering mindset that you have and that you've trained yourself in. What makes you feel, you know, like to go from that place of making music privately to be like, you know what, I'm going to start sharing this. Yeah. So I know that for a lot of people, we kind of talked about this a little bit before that there's this struggle with literally just getting that first piece of content out or sharing that first piece of music or like just hitting the starting gate, getting that initial starting point. And for me, uh, like, I really hate to say this, but like, I don't have like some specific answer. Like I literally just did it. Like Nike says, like, I was like, <laughs> I'm making music already. I'm going to literally just document and share what I'm doing. And that's what I tell people all the time when they ask, how do you create so much content? How do you do this? How do you do that? Like just document the stuff that you're already doing 
and you will realize that all the content is already there in your day. You're just too scared to share it usually or too scared to like document it. And an example of something for this recently for me is I have a like a music planner that I use it basically every single night and I use it to plan out my entire day and like write out my schedule. And I've been using planners like since I was actually in college. That's kind of when I first started planning out my stuff because I realized I needed to be more structured with my time to like pursue an engineering degree in particular. And using that, so that's actually probably maybe another thing that I learned from there. But planning out my day is something I do every night. And my friend told me, hey, that's actually like really interesting that you do that every single night. Like, why don't you share that with your audience? Like, this is literally a, like I made the planner myself. Like, it's a culmination of the resources over the years like that I found as the best ones for me in particular. And he's like, why don't you share that with your audience? And literally every single night, why don't you just post up your, your schedule? Like, you can blur out the stuff so this way people don't have to know what you're doing every hour. But people can see that, hey, like you actually do the things that you say, like you're what you advocate for, you do. And I was like, oh, yeah, like that's actually another piece of content. So literally just by taking a picture of my schedule every night, like I've just made seven more pieces of content. You know what I mean? There's there's stories, but still like it's these simple things and people complicate making content so much. They're like, oh, I need this perfect camera. I need to get the right angle. Like I had a call with somebody yesterday, like a student I was working with, and he was like, oh, I need to buy this new camera. And like, how do I actually get the audio and the video to sync together when they're recording so that it can all happen at once? And I was like, dude, you're overcomplicating this. I was like, I don't even do any of that crap. I was like, I just take my phone. I literally stick it up against some random thing, like whatever it happens to be. Usually it's this little thing, like on my speaker, this little box, Mm. put it there, literally get the video, record the audio wherever I need to, like export it from my DAW or like this, right? Mm-hmm. And then I just splice them in a video after. Again, you're getting resourceful with the things that you have. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone's going to be exporting the wave from their DAW or whatever the heck it happens to be. It's like you probably, I literally use the editing software on my phone. It's nothing fancy. I like don't use like these uh, Premiere Pro or whatever the heck, like the these all like they're useful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't mm-hmm. have anything against them, but it's like, when you're just starting out, like to answer your question, because I feel like I started ranting off. <laughs> it's all the good. first thing that you want to do is yeah. use the resources that you actually have and just make the piece of content. Who cares if it's good? Who cares if it's bad? Show me the bad content. Eventually, like you have to get there and you just have to get, again, the initial starting point and you can make it better from there. But if you never get that starting point, if you're a perfectionist about that starting point, you can't iterate ever, mm-hmm. you know? So. That's my long-winded answer to your question. No, that's, I mean, it's really interesting, man. And I think it brings up an interesting topic, which is sort of like, how much gear do you really need to make things that are of value and of use to other people? Because, you know, as we've talked about, you know, you've built an audience, you know, you've been able to grow a following on Instagram and you just said that you're continuing to use your phone and, you know, and I see your videos and I see you sitting in the room right now. And it's the same, it looks exactly the same as it does in your videos. So yeah. I guess, you know, what it, what do you think that is when people are maybe, hey, like I'll do this when I get this camera, I'll do this when I have, you know, this much money, you know, whatever it happens to be. Again, people are trying to be so perfectionistic about this thing often. And it's kind of like this uh, advanced form of procrastination. They're just trying to like find all these excuses to put it off for instead of just actually doing the thing. And a lot of people in terms of like the perfectionistic mindset, it's usually called like striving, 
but mm. there's healthy striving and non-healthy striving. And usually when you're literally holding yourself back through these types of beliefs, beliefs that you can't do it because of X, Y, Z, again, like you said, I don't have the the right uh, recording software. I don't have the right phone to, or a camera to, to record on. I don't have the right DAW, the piece, the, the piece of gear that I need, whatever it is. It's like that stopping you is not helpful to you getting to your goal whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it's just you telling yourself you can't do it and to procrastinate. So it's like, again, I, I'm not sitting here where I, I can say like, oh, I have the simple answer. Just do, just like do this one trick and the, the whole world like op- opens up for you or something like that. It's more of like a people are literally holding themselves back from creating the content because they want it to look a certain way. But they don't realize that there's this gap between where they want it and the actual like taste that were what they're creating, sorry, and where they actually want the piece of content to be, or what's sometimes referred to as the taste gap. And basically what happens is when you're first starting to create, you have this really low level of quality, basically. It's like your first time making something, it's probably not going to be that good. Like it's not usually your your uh your magnum opus or whatever. But over time it gets better. And what happens is at the start, you see these other people and you compare yourself to them and you see their content and you see other people that are already at the top and you're saying, man, I got to make the thing perfect like them. I got to make it look like what they're creating. But you don't realize that it's this entire path that they took to get to that point. They started somewhere too. And if you're resisting because of making that comparison, then you're never going to, again, get to that starting point. So I guess maybe a specific answer is you have to, instead of comparing yourself to other people, compare yourself to where you were yesterday and just make sure that you're better than that person. And if you can consistently do that, as opposed to like looking at your competition and getting like angered by them, you can always improve yourself and get to that point where, again, you're creating that first piece of content and you aren't holding yourself back. It's just like one small step at a time. It's not these huge, uh, like big leaps and, and bounds. How do you decide when something is good enough to share? Do you ever struggle with that? I let the audience decide. <laughs> That's probably my simplest answer. Mm. They're an experiment. I have no idea what what the audience wants. I can sit here in my room all day and I can make a million pieces of music and I can say, I think that the audience is going to like this one. I think the audience is going to like this one. It's got this crazy snare on it. Oh, this other one, the, the bounce with it, like the melody is super cool. But I'm going to sit here and I'm going to make 100 tracks. And if I never go to the audience, I'm never going to find out if any of them are good. Again, same thing applies with content. It's like, I'm going to make 100 pieces of content. They're always going to sit on my laptop. I have no idea if they're good. Like, I, I think they might be good. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's of value. Don't get me wrong. Knowing that your stuff is worth it is like what I call like the message behind it. You need to have good messaging. Right. And like the art is your message. The content, it's your, it's like the way that you package that message. Mm. So it's like you have to create again, the, the, the medium really is like the content and you have to package the message in a way that's communicated to your audience or given in a specific perspective or a specific angle where they can say that they enjoy it, if that makes sense. So it's like if I never actually put the piece of content out there to find out if they enjoy it. Then I can never get that feedback cycle to occur. And I can never A, make my content better, or B, find more people like that and attract them back to me. You not only have to find your fans, like and you don't find fans that are interested in your music, 
you get fans interested in your music. I guess mm. is a simpler way to put it. I guess what I really like about that is that I think a lot of times people and myself included, I think about, okay, when this is done, you know, this song or this beat or this idea, whatever it is, then I'll share it. But the idea of that, like nothing is necessarily ever done and that you can actually share something wherever it is in a moment with other people and the ability to share with all these people is to get all this other input. Of course, some of it may not be helpful, but some of it may be helpful and give you a sense of what people are enjoying or things that exist in your music that you can't even see on your own. Exactly. Yeah, you said it. You said it. And what I found it allows you to do is actually like save a lot of time in terms of what you're putting all of your effort into fully creating and fully fleshing out for those ideas. And I've kind of stolen this from seeing other creators do it and other like people in the space. But if you say like for me, if it's a drum loop in particular, I make like drum packs mostly. I can put out a whole bunch of beats and I can have my drum loops in those beats, right? They don't have to be full fleshed out songs and stuff like that. Or if you're somebody who is trying to make full fleshed out songs, you can still put like eight bars or 16 bars just out in a small 15 or 30 second snippet on a reel or whatever on Instagram or on whatever platform you use. And what you can see is if you make like, again, let's just say you put out one a week and you make seven different pieces of these eight to 16 bar loops, instead of taking all of your time and finishing all of them, you can get feedback from the audience. And they'll tell you which ones they resonate with. And for me, I usually look at that as, oh, these are the drum loops that I'm going to put in my pack. Or it's for you. It's if you're making full tracks, it's, hey, this is the song that I should focus on fully finishing, fully fleshing out, and then either A, release it as a single or B, put it into an album that I'm going to later use for something. So it's a way to easily create something that you already know is going to resonate with the audience and saves you time and effort in terms of like trying to figure out what that is and needing to try to do everything all at once yeah i mean that's that makes a ton of sense man it's beautiful and i hope for the people listening that you implement some of this go back and listen to that again and think about it i think connect like connected to all this maintaining like your motivation like there's like this this element of consistency that comes into play and so talk about how you think about consistency in the way that you work and make music yeah, I think consistency is a word that even I toss it around a lot, but I think a better word to replace it with in terms of how to think about being consistent is doing what is sustainable because being sustainable is really a first principles of being consistent because if you can't do something in a sustainable way, such as creating content or making music, if I can't sustain making a piece of content every day, then I can't consistently create content or put out the content every day or whatever it is. So it's like the first part for me is figuring out what is a sustainable pace for you to work at, whether that's one piece of content a day, whether that's one piece a week, whether that's one a month, I could care less. We got to start somewhere like we were talking about earlier. But if you can't become like, uh, you can't figure out what is sustainable for you and you can't get any sort of starting point in terms of that, then you will never be able to be consistent. And then I guess the second part is actually setting some sort of intention and planning out what you're being consistent with. So once you set up your pace for like, hey, I'm going to try to make one piece every single week or something like that, you actually have to plan out and set an implementation intention on how you're going to execute that. It's like, what am I going to do? And like, what time of day is this going to be at? Am I going to do this at 12 o'clock or two o'clock? When the time comes, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be sitting at my desk, uh, like in my room, or am I going to be sitting at the desk that's downstairs? It's 
like, what am I going to be doing? Is my phone going to be with me or not? Like, how am I going to set up every single thing? Not that, like, that's really super detailed, but it's like, you have to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And by doing that and setting up that sort of routine for yourself, based on what you said was going to be sustainable, you can then like the output of that for me is consistency. Cause now you have a routine and a schedule that you can stick to and that you can actually do the work that you have planned. I love that, man. It's, it's sort of like considering, you know, consistency in relation to your own capacity and being realistic about what you can do and taking a more long-term view, right. And not being like, I have to be able to just, I'm starting today. And I, now this is something I do every day. It's just kind of being like, all right, what are, what are the blockers in my life or where's the space that I actually have? How much time do I actually have? And how can I create according to that? What are ways that you think are helpful in somebody figuring out what their relative capacity is to be consistent? You know, what sustainable looks like for them and maybe anything that you've done or found for yourself that's been helpful in maintaining your own consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like this has been kind of a recurring theme so far, but it's, we got to find like a specific starting place so that we can have some sort of data and like evidence to be able to work off of and figure out how we can again, manage this over time and how we can consistently do it. So for example, if you're coming to me and you're telling me, Hey, I want to try to start making a piece of content every single day or seven pieces of content every single week. And that's what you want to do. But what the like your actual profile, if I go and I look at your profile, and this happens with a lot of people that I work with, they're literally showing me that they can only put up one piece of content every single week. And like, that's what's on their actual timeline. And there's a system that you can create to go from one to seven. Don't get me wrong. But like, you have to set a goal that's reasonable for yourself at like what you were just saying earlier, and making sure that it's aligned with what your capacity is to do it. And what that looks like is starting off and instead of let's just saying like one to seven, right? There's sometimes where you know that there's a specific system that you can use to get to that gap. But if you don't have anything in place and you're just trying to do like some sort of increasing the volume, right? Based on your capacity, you want to like incrementally, incrementally gain from one to two pieces and then two to three pieces and three to four and make these small improvements over time and consistently get evidence and data that you can do it. There are things that you can also add on, like I said, these systems to go from one to seven, such as these things like uh, recently chat GPT was released, right? And people were going like on a frenzy about that and like how that can produce so much stuff. And personally, I haven't really used it a whole lot, but like that is maybe one thing that you could do if you're producing content that's related to that, where you can go from like one to seven. Or if you have some sort of content system, which is more what I actually do, where I use something called the hub and spoke model which is inspired by this guy named Alex Lieberman and also, I guess, Austin Reef from Morning Brew. And -hmm. it's like, if I can have this one hub piece of content similar to a hub and spoke on a bike and then spoke out all of these smaller things from this one hub piece, then I can create from one hub seven pieces of content. I see a lot of producers that will make one song, which is really a hub, and they'll make one piece of content out of it. They'll go one for one. And Mm. that's, again, if we're trying to increase the capacity, you need a system to do that or or consistency rather, not capacity. Um, If you want to increase the consistency on the same capacity, what you can do though is instead take one piece, like one song or in me, it's like one loop or one pack and figure out how can I make a whole bunch of content out of that one thing? If I can make one song a week, instead of only putting out one piece of content out, 
how can I make seven different spokes from that one track, seven different content buckets, so to speak, or angles that you can see the track from and show those off and basically create seven pieces of content from one piece. So again, there's ways that you can leverage the amount of content that you're creating where you don't need to inc increase your actual capacity to create. But in terms of actually like doing that first thing that you talked about, I would say making sure that you make these small incremental gains based off of data and evidence is huge. What I love about this is I think it helps producers, you know, maybe pause for a second and appreciate making a song or a beat or whatever their music is and appreciate how much is in that and how many different ways you could share it instead of, I don't know, because I think it can lead you to this place of maybe discounting, you know, your music and feeling like making a song isn't enough, but instead realizing like kind of how much is exists in one and how many people don't make music and understand, you know, how much you put into to making that song. So I really like that in terms of trying to really think about really appreciating it and stretching it in like all of the different ways that it can be, I don't know, shared with people and maybe show them things that they don't know about it, you know, because maybe some people don't hear some of those details and would appreciate it. Yeah, you said it for sure. I think it's making all those little details more known for people. That's what's up, man. You kind of have brought up this little distinction, I think, a little earlier around kind of content versus your art or your music. And mm -hmm. tell, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that's a really interesting and important distinction. Yeah, so I think this idea came to me, and I, I might even be getting this guy's name wrong, but I believe his name is Marshall Mc, McLuhan, I think mm. is his name, or something like that. Again, I could be getting this wrong, but he, but he wrote this book basically saying, it's like the medium is the message. And it made me realize that your art and the content that you create or the package that you put that art in, or in his case, the medium is completely different than the message that's going behind it. So it's like when I sit here and I and I'm sitting at the desk that I create my music at right now, when I sit here and I'm creating music, I'm not thinking about how am I going to make a piece of content out of this? Like I no offense to my audience, but like I could care less about the piece of content that I'm going to create when I'm making music or like when I'm recording something on the drums, like I'm focusing on recording the drum loop. Don't get me or like how the drum loop will sound and stuff. And like that does affect the content at some point, but it's like, I'm focused on making the music, like the actual art behind it, what I'm trying to put into art. What is the message is how is what, again, I could be getting this guy's name wrong, so I hope I'm not, but Marshall refers to it as where he's like, okay, here's the message behind something, but how can I package that message? So now that I have the drum loop recorded, I have the track made, whatever it is, the, the final file, I'm like, okay, this sounds good. This represents what I want. How can I take that and bring it and package it up? that art, that message, and put it into a medium and distribute it to my audience and make it actually connect with them, make it make sense to them. Because most of the time people have this messaging with their music that's complete gibberish and it's so confusing and nobody knows exactly what to do or like what they're representing. And it's like, you need to have somewhat succinct messaging to be able to get your point across and be able to, again, take the art that you're making and the message that you have and use it to get across that message, right? It's like you have to have this overlap between the two parties, between you and your audience, where it's like that like Venn diagram, so to speak, where they overlap, that that is where the connection is made. And that's where the content is created in the overlap. That mm. makes sense. But the I, art is the whole thing. Yeah. How do you also do you, re, do you happen to rec, uh, remember the name of that book you were just talking about by Marshall? I want to share it with the people in the notes if we can. 
Yeah, I believe it's Marshall McLuhan. And I think it's the medium is the message. And okay. one kind of funny part about it is that I believe it's actually the medium is the massage, like, like as a <laughs> massage. But uh, it's because when they were printing it, the guy actually messed up the, the name. Like it was a misprint, but they printed all the crap. And what, what the author said, he's like, it's actually kind of funny because it's literally a representation of like the medium is the message. Like the name isn't even right. You know what I mean? <laughs> they like left it wow. in there. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that that's that's like a true story. That's a cool uh, piece of trivia about the book there. While we're on this topic, are there any other books that you think have been helpful um, that you'd like to share for other producers? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I'm kind of hesitant to share like specific books because I feel like everyone goes through their own journey of discovering what books are useful to them. And people sometimes attribute meaning to a book like mm. with uh, just because somebody gave a good recommendation of it, if that makes sense. Sure. And the other reason is because I can give you a book that's really boring for you. Mm. It's like if I give you a book on like behavioral economics or something like that. Like I know that you might find that more interesting, but like a music producer is gonna be like, dude, what the hell is this? Like this makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. Like again, going back to like the medium and the message thing, like if I give you that, like I'm not packaging it in the right way. Sure. So what I will refer to, and it's actually a quote from a book that I am going to recommend. So to try okay. to answer the question is this guy, Naval Ravikant has this quote roughly that says, you have to read what you love until you love to read. Mm. People, their association with reading is like summer reading from school or like reading in class. And you're like, oh man, that sucked. Like I hate reading. Like reading is the worst thing in the world. But if you remember, there's probably some weird article that you were super interested in or something that you wanted to look up and you probably read a blog post on it. It's like if you read things that are actually interesting to you, you'll eventually fall in love with reading over time and you'll be able to read books that are on subjects that maybe even aren't interested in, interesting to you initially, but will draw you in because you can read them. So where this uh, kind of quote roughly comes from is he has this book. Uh, called literally the almanac of Naval Ravikant. Uh, mm. So like that's probably one book that I would recommend. And again, the, I would say this is more of like a philosophy or principles style book than it is like, hey, this is how to make music or like something that applies to music producers. Because it's like, there is nothing in that book that really talks about music. It's all just principles about like life and business and stuff like that. So like that's one that I would recommend. Um, cool. I wouldn't say again, I have any like music books in mind that I would be like, Hey, go, go out and read this. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. There's, you know, just curious about whatever's been useful for you. You know, I think, cause I know that for me personally, there's been things that I've read that are necessarily about music, but have just found, you know, like I, everything's connected somehow, you know, and you find a way to apply it. I got, I got, I got one for you. And then I'm going to, I'm going to reverse the question and ask you a book too. <laughs> okay. so be prepared. But my, so like kind of, advocate for the thing that I was saying earlier, I used to hate reading, right? And it wasn't until I read this book called The Power of Habit by mm -hmm. Charles Duhigg, as I believe the author's name. Mm -hmm. And people always rave about atomic habits. And yeah, James Clear is cool and stuff, but actually he just took 90% of the ideas from all these other people and added 10% on top of it. And like he did like what the Virgil Abloh changed 3% thing. Mm. Like this guy, like actually for me, was like the first book that I read and came across in terms of habits. And again, all these people are just looking at research from actual people doing the science. Don't get me wrong. Like there's always attribution that goes backwards. But his book, when I first read it, was in high school. I believe it was my senior year of high school. And I took it 
uh, I really wanted to learn about more like the psychology around habits and actually how to create a habit and things like that. And the book actually ended up being a little bit more related to marketing and business and habits around those things, which I also found interesting after all. But that initial interest in how do I actually develop a new habit to start sustaining something, actually kind of going back to what we were talking about before, I was like, how do I do this? And because I asked myself that question, and at the time, I didn't really know how to use Google. Like I was saying earlier, Google for me, like came when I was in college, like I actually started learning how to use it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to look up a book on how to like basically uh, create a habit, so to speak. And that was the first book that popped up at the time. Like I basically got the library or whatever, went, got the book, or I think I actually got it at Barnes and Nobles in the like discounted section. It was like one of the first times I ever went to an actual store. You know what I mean? I was like, holy crap, this is what what a bookstore looks like. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I don't even think they have Barnes and Nobles anymore. It's probably like out of business now, but I went in there, got the book and went down the shore and I was there for a week and I read it on the beach every day. And by the time I was done, I was like, this is the greatest book ever. And I still think it's like one of my favorite books, but it was more of the fact that that again, that book's not going to resonate for everybody. But the reason why it resonates for me is because it's the book that made me start reading Mm. information. It was super useful. Don't get me wrong, but it was the actual skill that it helped me develop to say like, yo, you can start reading and learning from these things. Like this is material that people put 10, 20 years of effort into writing this one book. It's like their entire like life's work for some people. And I'm just going to like sit here and be like super nonchalant about it. It's like, oh, like there's probably some good information in there, but you have to be interested enough to pick it out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I love that, man. And honestly, I really couldn't agree more about like kind of the way formal education works and the the relationship that you can potentially develop to reading as a result, you know, because I definitely grew up kind of dreading reading. And I think you forget, or maybe at least for me, I won't speak for you or anybody else, but kind of just forgetting how much is out there and that you can literally read about anything and that the thing that you're already interested in, it exists. And that can really just that one step can really lead to a lot. And I know that that's helped me a ton. And so I have become somebody who really appreciates uh, books as I've, as I've gotten older. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. I was really succinct. Now, again, I'm flipping the table. What's your (laughs) book that you found maybe useful for music or just a book you enjoy in general? I'm always, uh, so I will. (laughs) No, I appreciate it, man. Um, let's see here. I think, as you mentioned, when we talked, uh, offline before, and we we got into that behavior economics thing really randomly, I, I really, uh, the, the undoing project by Michael Lewis, I think is an incredible book. I think he's somebody, I guess it's sort of like, people call it creative nonfiction or something like that. But he's just like, it's, it's really incredible the way that he weaves sort of narrative and biographies of multiple people and how those and the story behind the people that create the thing. And so it's not necessarily just about the science. And it's not necessarily just about the people you kind of learn this really holistic thing. And as a result, it's sort of like a small little piece of history. So I just really, really enjoy Really, I think anything that I've ever read by him, because he also read the he also wrote the big short, you know, like things that have become movies, Moneyball, like all of these things. So highly recommend if you've enjoyed any of the movies that he that like any of those movies that you go ahead and read anything that's kind of behind it. I think one of the single most impactful books for me as a producer was Robert Greene's Mastery. That's probably like one of my all-time favorites. Like his his style and ability to like, it's sort of like a, a really cool way to learn history too. Um, I really, really just enjoy 
what he talks about. And it's just been really inspiring and informative to me. So those would be the two, I think, off the top that I would recommend. Definitely going to have to read that. I Mastery, I have definitely uh, add to that one for you. That's, that's a great book. Yeah. Totally agree with everything that you said on that. I'm going to have to add the un, undo it, the undoing project, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely going to have to look, look, look into that yeah. one. Yeah, appreciate it's a really... Yeah, no, for sure, man. I appreciate you asking. And I think it's it's cool because I, I think lar- largely it's sort of about, you know, the way that our biases and our experiences can kind of limit our ability to to handle a situation well, you know, or to assess the relevant information well. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. All right, uh, man. That's enough for me. Back to you. I think what I'm curious about is like, you know, you've been doing this content for a while now. You've been making music for a while now. And I'm wondering how your your measuring stick of the way that you evaluate your content has evolved yeah so i think and i think a lot of people start off with this it's like how many likes am i getting basically or how many people are just like coming and following me and stuff like that mm-hmm. and those metrics are definitely useful for feedback and stuff like that and i think what happens over time is you get enough data to work with where you're getting enough people that are liking and following your posts and stuff that other metrics begin to arise that take precedent and are more important to begin tracking. So for example, if you're beginning to grow enough of an audience that you want to release a project, you might say, hey, how many of these people am I converting from my following to actually buying something or uh, making them go from a following to an email list also is another one. Or for example, if you have an email list, how many times do you send every single week like that's a metric to track how many people are actually opening the emails how many people are clicking through like these are metrics that start to kind of stack up over time even things like uh, a rough getting a rough uh percentage of people that come to visit your profile to people that follow you getting that conversion rate and for me it turns a lot more from the specific things on that front end like likes and uh follows and stuff like that to how can I optimize the conversion rates between each step of the system that I've created to get somebody, it's like basically what uh, a fan experience ladder is kind of what I refer to it as, is getting someone from completely unaware, non-follower to stepping them into my system as a follower and then moving them all the way to the point where they eventually buy something. Not everybody goes through the entire thing. Some people just stop at the follow. Some people never follow. Don't get me wrong. That's perfectly fine with me. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. My goal, though, is to give people incentive to move through the entire thing and eventually get to this final point so that I can provide them as much value as I possibly can with a sample pack. Instead of only getting uh, 50 free sounds or something like that, you can get 400 sounds if you actually buy it. And that will, again, like increase the amount of output that you have or whatever. So it's like I'm trying to incentivize moving people through that ladder and the conversion rate that goes through each step. And the reason why that's important to me is because I look at it as how can I test something every single week or to take one step back, actually, people talk about music marketing all the time. They Mm -hmm. complicate the crap out of it. They're like, how many strategies can I use? How many tactics do I need? If I try out this weird new trick, all all of a sudden my following is going to blow up. I'm like, nah, dude, none of that crap works. You just got to do this. This is my suggestion. Again, you're going to have these times where you go viral and things blow up. That's not super sustainable all the time. What what I try to do is look at the system that I created and how I go, how can I test this? Marketing is just another word for testing. I literally go, how can I test something new? If I put, 
for example, the conversion rate for my profile to, to followers, if I put something different in my profile and I write something different, it will literally change from 1% to a different percent. If it goes from 1% to maybe 5%, then I know that I just increased the inflow of followers by 4x, just by increasing that one percentage point by changing the copywriting on my profile by a little bit. Or again, I can move to the next step. And what you can do by doing this is do what I call 1% better marketing and look at each step, test one thing at a time and increase the conversion rate throughout the entire system. And what you do is you can work on one step and compartmentalize instead of what a lot of producers try to do is they wear every hat at once. They're like, oh, I'm going to be a business person. I'm going to make content. I'm going to make music. I'm going to manage it. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Like, I'm like, no, do one part of the system at a time. Make that one part of the system better. And that 1% will actually increase the whole output. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. I love that. I love that. Like, I mean, again, it's like you can really, I feel like, see some of the engineering mindset in here, right? You have the overall system as well as its, as well as its underlying components and how each of them play in. And you're like kind of learning how to pull the, the levers individually within it. It's cool. Very cool. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, yeah I, I think the levers, like you said, it's a good description to use. Right on. So let's go, like talk a little bit about social media, man, because I mean, I know that's how I originally discovered you. And I think it's really interesting to see your trajectory over the last couple of years. You know, it's really incredible what you've built and what you continue to like kind of offer people, um, both, as you said, from an artistic and musical perspective, as well as a content perspective. So let's talk a little bit about in general, just using social media as an artist. You know, what do you think, what role does social media play as an artist? I think social media is the easiest way to connect with your audience and is one of the best distribution services for getting your music heard. Um, and I think people really underestimate the value of having social media as a resource if you're using it the right way. A lot of people use it the wrong way. But what happens I see is people don't understand that it's literally just a like resource to make people aware that you exist. It's not really a resource to use to try to like sell people all the time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. During launches and during like big releases, like yes. But really what it is is an engine to distribute and get your music heard and get people aware. And what you can do from there is have this direct connection with the audience that you're trying to pursue and be able to do things like, for example, have these types of conversations where it's literally one-on-one, -on -one, right? Or like if we're in the messages, like that's one-on-one -on -one. or even in a comment, right? Like you're chatting with the person, so to speak, even though it's public. Mm -hmm. A service like a, another distribution service like Spotify, which is what basically all, all artists go to. And they're like, oh, I'm going to become like huge on Spotify. I'm going to get millions of plays. But I'm like, oh mm -hmm. my God, that's, that's, that sounds awesome. You know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. here's what happens. You're distributing to even if you get distributed to 100,000 people or whatever, you're only getting paid 0 0.007 cents or like some really minuscule amount. I don't even know what the, the percentage is because I don't use Spotify like that. What mm -hmm. I do instead and what I tell everybody is, is, hey, we have these services where we can distribute it ourselves. You can literally host a website yourself now. You can sell directly to your audiences. And great examples of this that I always give is that Nipsey Hussle sold an $100 mixtape. Makami basically did the same thing with a very expensive album. But by selling directly to your audience, you don't even need to sell an $100 thing. My sample packs are 30 bucks. Like mm -hmm. These things aren't insanely priced. But you can sell directly to your audience. And even if you convert 1% of 1,000 people, 
that's 10 purchases and you might get less than 1%, but I'm just making the numbers easy for right now. Like mm -hmm. that's 10 purchases on a $30 album or a $30 pack. That's $300 versus if you got a thousand plus views or 10,000 or a hundred thousand listens, like you're probably still making not much money and you had to do a hundred X the work to get that often, or uh, try to grease the hands of playlist curators or try to get along with some label or send out some crazy outreach. And instead of outreaching to them, like these big people, maybe you just outreach to people to collaborate with. And again, like doing your audience building that way and stuff like that. There's all these social ways that you can do it where you don't need to use a distributor like Spotify nowadays, and you can go directly to your audience, but nobody is taking advantage of these platform inefficiencies yet. And so like until artists understand that attention is the new oil, that is when they will realize that they can actually make a career just by making social media content. Mm. Really interesting, man. What do you think it is that draws people to be more concerned with growing a number on Spotify as opposed to maybe developing and selling products directly to an audience? People aren't going to like my answer for this one, but uh, <laughs> so what, what, what do you think looks better? Somebody that's getting a uh, hundred thousand like monthly listens or whatever versus somebody that's only got like 5,000 followers or something like that. Mm. Right. People look at it as a status thing often. They're like, I want more listens because it looks better. And it's like, it's a really, again, I don't think people are going to enjoy that answer because that's not everybody's thing either. I don't want to, I'm like being really blanketed with the statement as well. I want to make sure I make that discrepancy, but it's like people would prefer the status of having a big number rather than actually connecting with their audience and doing the second part, which is what I also think is why people would rather do this. The, the, what you're saying is like, no one likes to sell to their audience. Mm. People think of sales and they literally uh, associate it with like bad, like negative thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so nobody wants to sell to their audience, but what do these artists do anyway? If you go on anybody's YouTube channel, what does every single person have? What, like if they're not selling something themselves, what do they all have? Ads. Ads. And what else? What, what do they usually say? They stop in the middle of the video and they go, Oh, but wait, what do they yeah. say? Thank you hmm. too. Ah, uh, sponsors. So, Bingo. Okay, they sure. all just say, I'm going to, I'm going to like not associate myself with it. I'm going to outsource all this. I'm just going to, again, this is a, a good model for sponsorship. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong, but it's like, people are just like, ah, I'll let them sell the product. Like so this way, it's not my fault. Like I'm going to sell for them and you're just getting used. You are literally just a middleman as a sponsor. Like if I'm paying you for an ad spot or for promo or these bigger companies are paying you for ad spots and promo. All it is, is because they know that they're going to make money off you. It is the simplest thing. It's a win-win situation because you make money too, but they're probably making three to five X what you're making. You know what I mean? Like mm. I know every hour that I worked, like I worked as a, in a consulting engineering firm and like for my design work, I know that every hour that I build, my boss made five X that, or like mm. not, not my boss, like literally the company that my boss mm -hmm. ran. So I was like, him not even doing any work, just leveraging my labor. He five X my salary and got the 75% margin on my work. Mm. So it's like they're doing the exact same thing they're selling, but they're just being used. And instead of going directly to their audience and saying, Hey, buy my album or buy my thing. Again, there's times to do this. If you don't want to create stuff, get a sponsor. Like newsletters are really good with sponsors. Again, like YouTube channels really good with sponsors, but it's hard to get paid based off a of CPM or something like that. Mm. Like, to know your numbers if you're doing that type of stuff it's way easier to just sell directly to the people in my opinion in my specific mm -hmm. opinion and that's what i found more easy 
So I guess to your point about using Instagram as a, you know, like appreciating it as a distribution platform and a way to build awareness around what it is that you're trying to create. What are some, you know, some of those main pillars maybe that you think are important that producers or creators of any kind are implementing? What do you mean by pillars for content? Just curious. I want to make sure I answer the question right. Yeah. So maybe just like foundational kind of core things that are good to make sure that you're following. Oh, I would probably say making sure that you're actually putting out content. <laughs> like <laughs> literally, again, I'm, I'm kind of being really blunt with a lot of things in this interview because most people overlook that it's the boring, simple things that actually lead to getting any sort of gain or like momentum or like things happening. Like mm-hmm. if you're not putting out content, you're not going to be able to do it. If you're not posting consistently, you're not going to be, do it, be able to do it. If you're not engaging and commenting back with the audience that engage with you, that you're not going to do it. If you're not going out and finding new people to engage with and actually get the algorithm to learn who the people that you engage with are, you're not going to do it. It's like, again, there is no secret. It's all these simple little things. And like, you could call them like pillars and stuff like that and foundation, but it's like, if you're just doing normal stuff, it'll work. If cool. that makes sense. There is no like, oh, do this, like, oh, like do it at this time or something like that. Or like do this many, it's like experiment and find out for yourself and you'll, you'll figure out which ones work and which ones don't. That's like my, my take. Gotcha. So the shortcut is the work. Exactly. Yeah. Like the people will find out that usually the trying to take the shortcut ends up being the longest path. Mm. Wow. That's, I like that. So I think. Something as, again, as a blocker for a lot of producers is in getting in the way of sharing content can be the fear of other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you deal with and, and how do you deal with it? Um, a little bit. I like, don't really think about it that much anymore. Um, like, I don't want to say like, I don't deal with it at all again, but mm-hmm. it's something that I literally try to be um, unconsciously aware of, if that makes sense, where it's like, oh, if I see myself thinking about it, like I'm trying to condition myself to say like that's like like, is that really worth your brain power you know Mm. what i mean am i gonna let this other random person dictate like how i'm gonna make something or like create this thing um and an example that i've i've heard given for this is uh like if you go to play a show right you go to play a concert there's a hundred people at the concert it's like your first opening event or something like that when you go there you're gone and you have one reputation of yourself like you you know what you are when you go and you play you're going to leave that event with a hundred new reputations in the audience Mm. and we're different. So are you going to let all a hundred of them dictate how you represent like the one or like the content or like whatever it's like, Oh, it's like kind of silly to try to please them all or try to do that. It's like, Oh, just do whatever, like whatever you're going to do anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really cool analogy, man. I like that. I think that's a really good way to think about it. We can't control what anybody's going to think and we can't even ever really know. So it, it's, I think it's a really, a really cool thing to think about. Is there anything that you would encourage people to avoid? Is there anything that you see out there that you're like, this is content that the world doesn't need to see, or these are tactics that are a waste of your time, things that people can avoid so that they're spending their time on, on the right things? Yeah, kind of. I would say no content is off limits. Uh, well, actually, other than like, obviously, things that are like not not safe for the platform so to speak but Mm. it's like you want to experiment as much as possible and try to see which resonates um so i would say in terms of like what you're creating like 
try whatever, like literally try all new things. You know what I mean? Like, um, whatever you think will work with your audience. Like there's probably a reason why you had that thought. So like, try it out and just see what happens. Cause like, mm. like you're saying before, it's like, if it stays on your laptop, like I'm never going to get the feedback from the audience to figure out if it was good or bad. So like, you just got to get it out. And I think that that's like, again, I feel like these things are like so simple, but they're so, they're just like proven and tried and true. Um, the part in terms of like best practices, maybe for the platform, not necessarily just for the content as a whole, I would say uh, comments that are fire, 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 uh, emoji, emoji, emoji. This is sick. Cool stuff. Like two word comments like that. Like I'm, I'm kind of cool with it. Like, unless I know the person or something like that, like it's like, you're not doing yourself a favor, leaving that on somebody's profile. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? That's the first thing. The other one is sending ridiculous messages to people that I see like, or like these really like long winded messages. It's like, um, most of the people that you reach out to, like, don't have time to read this crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So unless you're in the middle of a conversation already, then you can send a longer message. But if you're trying to like reach out to somebody and you're like, Hey man, I saw this, this, uh, show that you were at 10 years ago and I actually took this picture and here's the picture. And my friend actually really likes you too. And we were, we were actually listening to you in the aux in the car the other day. And actually, uh, the other time that I listened to you, I bought your album at the show. It's like, I don't care about any of this crap. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it's cool, but mm-hmm. this is like, I can't read all that. Sure. Like 90% of people will send these crazy messages or like even the, the worst ones, which I feel like is more obvious that people are like, Hey, listen to my music. Like mm-hmm. that's like more obvious. Don't, don't tell people to listen to your music it's like nobody's going to answer these types of messages like you have to warm up the conversation if you if you want to tell people that story or whatever it is you know i think in terms of connecting with people on the platform like actually finding your fans and building up an audience and stuff like that those are probably the simplest mistakes and again they're pretty straightforward like if you had common sense i feel like you probably wouldn't do those things but um yeah, I think that that's like simple mistakes that people make. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like stop spamming and make content. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like if you yeah. took that time to make content or make genuine comments or make genuine messages with people and just start real conversations, like that's way more worth your time than trying to do this crazy quantity. You know what I mean? Sure. Quality and connections is better, but quantity is better in terms of content. Like mm. the more content that you make, uh, is better because over time quality becomes quantity or uh, quantity becomes quality. Sorry. With content yeah. and music. Like if I only practice once a week, it's going to take me a really long time to get good. But if I practice every day, like I can condense down that time way quicker or again, with the content that you're making one a week versus seven a week, but with the messages that you're sending, I would rather go really deep in a conversation with somebody and send one person, seven messages than send seven people, one message. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Absolutely. Stuff like that and create a conversation that's way more worth it. Like going deep in conversation and connection in quality connection is like what you want to leverage. Absolutely, man. You know, and that's why we have you here. So I appreciate you sharing that, making the time. Same back to you, my dude. Yeah, right on. So I got some little quick hits to wrap this up with before we we jump into those. Um, Mm -hmm. I did want to ask you if there's any kind of upcoming projects that you're going to release that you wanted to share with us. Yeah. So right now, the only thing that I'm really starting to release is a community that we're starting to run just a producer community. It's called the Music Momentum Community. And it's just a place where I'm putting all of my resources, such as that Music Momentum Planner that I was talking about earlier. And also just made like this, uh, it's basically seven frameworks that will help you to start releasing your music and start creating content. Some of the things that we talked about today, and I just called that the Music Momentum Guide. 
So it's like different resources like that, and as well as weekly workshops and Q and A's and like live events. Um, and I'm just trying to basically make this community for like-minded producers who are all trying to kind of grow together, especially doing things such as grow by creating content for the most part and trying to like leverage that in particular. So we can all just kind of help each other out and grow together is is my uh, next endeavor. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, man. I love it. Let's uh, go ahead and jump into some of these quick hits here. Let us know. Right. I know you mentioned that you started out on FL and Machine, but uh, what are you using now to make music? Yeah, so right now I'm still using Machine, but I'm using cool. Ableton also for most of like the arrangement and also for anytime I really do like sound design stuff or stuff for my packs, that's mostly done in Ableton, if that makes sense. Like gotcha. exporting single sounds or stuff like that. If I'm making a loop, like I'll make that in Machine, uh, like for like the MIDI to be able to drum it out and things like that. Or if I'm re like recording the acoustic kit behind me or just recording mm. sounds, I'll do that in Ableton because the arrangement view in Ableton, I don't know if anybody else has ever worked in Machine, but it's like the arrangement view is not very good in machine machine mm -hmm. for me is very good for making the loop and making like the beat aspect of it, but to actually add in other stuff, or for example, to do some of the sound design stuff or packs, uh, I find the machine a little bit limiting for that in comparison to something like Ableton, which just has a lot more features, you know, they're different Absolutely. purposes. I feel like. No, for sure. I hear you. Yeah. I'm, I love Ableton. I, I did start on machine as well though. Hell yeah, dude. Another machine. Yeah. You yes, sir um what's your go-to sound or instrument drums <laughs> is that is that a uh, appropriate answer absolutely hey there's no wrong answers here man we're just getting to know you go-to plug-in oh, probably uad uh ssl g bus compressor mm, after right figuring on. out what a compressor was definitely uh like changed the game for drums especially you know yeah I didn't start off with that plugin too. It took me some time like to actually get a, a Apollo interface, for example, and then get that plugin. But that right. was something that, uh, I had like, basically, I think I had like the waves version of it before or something gotcha. like that. Yeah. I mean, time. I used to have the waves too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I just love that compressor. I mean, there's yeah, a it's a classic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's your favorite piece of gear? Probably the machine. Like I, feel like that's just because it's where I started. So I definitely have a bias. You know what I mean? Like I've had the same machine and it's been going. It's been serving me basically every single day for the past, I don't even know, six years or I don't, I don't even know how long ago college was. Five years. Sorry. But <laughs> it's all good. So do you use the machine to like tap out drums or chop samples? Neither? Both? Both. Exactly. Both. Cool. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's all like the, the MIDI stuff. And like sometimes I'll mess around and like, do like extra like effects or things like that on top of it just like to like play around but most of the time i'll do that and then i'll either take the like midi or the stems and i'll bring them over into ableton and then mess around with them there gotcha cool man three producers you think everybody could listen to and you can't use mad lib or dilla in those three. Ooh, that's a good one i'll probably say knowledge i think is definitely something especially from somebody who really enjoys drums. I think he just has such unique patterns and also unique samples that he uses. For sure. Like his, his style is just something that's totally wild. And I feel like changed my ear for music in particular, or for production at least that's and up. what you can do, you know what I mean? And what, uh, again, he not feeling limited by certain things is I feel like is what he, he made me realize another producer is probably Kenny beats. Mm. Uh, I've been definitely listening to a lot uh, recently and um, initially found him through uh, his cave episodes on YouTube. And I would definitely recommend to anybody who has not seen them to go watch them or to also go see some of the stuff that he does on his live stream. 
I think that he's an incredible musician, um, but he's also incredible at being able to explain the process behind some things and keep it into simple layman's terms and be able to explain stuff. Like, for example, the way that my drum kit's set up and even the, I have a, a advanced audio CM87 mic, which is basically a replica of the U87. And literally getting that mic was inspired by seeing it on his drum kit and seeing him explain it. And I probably literally wouldn't have bought that specific mic if I didn't see and hear it and how it was used on his drum kit. And obviously like looking up more stuff after to see how it sounded, but not just buying it based off of what he said. But mm -hmm. that sole like video of watching him do that was like one of the inspirations for being like, holy crap, I can record drums too. Like I can do this myself as well. Um, and I think that that is like a huge one. And now the last one, I'll kind of give you a slight screwball answer, <laughs> which is Earl Sweatshirt. Mm. Um because it's not that he produces everything that he makes, um, but I think that his production style, again, is like very, very unique. And the types of sounds that he uses are different. And also, I'm a huge fan of Earl Sweatshirt in general. Like him and Kid Cudi are probably my two favorite artists. So I mm. definitely, again, have a little bit of a bias there. But again, going back to that idea of seeing other people do it, like hearing him and seeing him do it and like his lyrics and just like the way that he spoke on the mic and going and even seeing him live when I was in Boston, like all that stuff culminated to me wanting to make music. So he's definitely had a huge impact on me and like the music uh, and also productions that he's done. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So now that I know that Kenny Beats is in your top three, I have a couple follow up questions. One is, what's your favorite episode of The Cave? Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably. Again, this one, this one's going to be biased, but I feel like it's the JPEG Mafia episode. Mm. I also really liked the Denzel Curry episode because a that kicked off like the whole album that they did or project that they did together rather. And like just hearing them gel like so well together, was insane to me. It like felt like it was like, uh, it was comical of a video as well. Like, cause they're, yeah. I mean, Denzel is like, kind of like a funny dude. And like Kenny is like, just like the, I like chill like not like uh he's like super like nonchalant you know what i mean so it's like kind of like sure. a funny energy collaboration that's one where he's like denzel's wearing the helmet in that episode and stuff right isn't there a thing i think so i just yeah i remember the rap that he did was insane too that's the last yeah. part that i had i think it was like one of probably him and maybe like the freddie gibbs raps but like uh, th that was probably one of my favorite like actual raps from from that it's cool man the variety and guests that he's had on that series that was such a cool thing I think it was like early pandemic when I discovered that too. A favorite? Yeah, for me, there's two that come to mind. I really, I mean, the Thundercat one was cool. I really liked the uh, the Mark Rebier really was really dope. And I really, the Mac DeMarco one as well, just because it was pretty funny too. Like he was a really funny guest. Yeah, I it definitely agree with that last. He was a funny guest. And no, I agree with the, like the, I feel like the other two definitely more like with the live instrumentation stuff you you like. like yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I guess that's part of it, you know, and I think it was just cool to see him work with, I think, artists that are, I think, you know, Kenny Beats, or at least I, I think when I think Kenny Beats originally, I was thinking about what he was doing with rappers. And so I think it was cool to see him do stuff with other people in different genres. And like, it really, I think, spoke to just his general, like, how much of an appreciator he is of music in general, and like, kind of how wide his like, skill set is too, which was really fun. That's a great point to make, honestly. Yeah, right on, man. And uh, three favorite albums. Oh, can I can I put the same artist for all three of them? Oh, God. Wow. Try not to. I, I'm a very, very big fan of Kid Cudi. So I'd probably put 
honestly, like if I could choose three albums and it would all be cut, it would probably be Wizard number one with and him and Dr. Genius did Wizard. Actually, talking about a producer that people should listen to, Dr. Genius is probably one. Um, then probably the Man on the Moon one and two, or if I just had to choose one, it would probably be Man on the Moon two, and then probably uh, Satellite Flight would be like the third one from him. Wow, and man, then, you're diehard. In terms of other people, I'd probably still put Wizard as number one. I would probably put, and also like picking favorite albums outside of this is probably is a little bit tough, but I'd say some rap songs by Earl definitely mm. was like had a big impact on me. Uh, like I really enjoyed that. I guess these are all also like more recent people as well. I'll, I'll say, let me think of the last one. Probably, probably the JPEG Mafia, the veteran album in particular. Mm. I think that those had big, a big impact on me. I'm trying to think of music that like that actually changed what I was doing, if that makes sense. Got you. Sort of like, I like that idea. There's this guy that has like, he talks about like quake books, like kind of things that like kind of shake your world a little bit. So it sounded like that maybe those albums kind of did that for you somewhat. That's cool, man. That's a great, uh, I really like that phrase. Yeah, me too. It's cool, right? I think it's uh, it's Tyler Cohen. He's like, I think... He teaches at, at George Mason in Virginia and does some sort of, uh, I, I want to say economics, but I'm not positive. I'm but he's written a bunch of books. Yeah. And all right, man. And then favorite movie. <laughs> Probably the pursuit of happiness. And it's kind of funny because of the kid Cuddy reference again, but yeah, well. it's that I actually just really like that. The story in that movie, I think is like incredible. I think it's like a super inspiring story and it's like, very easy for me to draw motivation from seeing that story and like being able to somewhat like relate to the ideas of that story but i feel like everyone goes through some sort of struggle that when you watch that movie you can relate to if that makes sense absolutely that's probably one of my favorite and then also uh the shawshank redemption that's Mm, like classic yeah Yeah, exactly just like classic if you haven't seen that i would highly recommend watching that one yeah i couldn't agree more man both are definitely really solid films could not could not agree more Somebody else you think I should talk to on this podcast? Ooh, that's a good question. I would probably say somebody that might be interesting to talk to. And again, I'm probably a little bit biased here, but uh, Cody from Chilled Samples, Mm. who also runs a podcast. And I think that's why it'd be an interesting conversation. Plus, he has a lot of stories that are really interesting about touring and things like that. And just how he's actually started making music as well. And the things along those lines. And I think that he would be a fun guest to have on to talk about like the touring stuff. He also does a lot with um, getting, even though I bashed on Spotify, again, <laughs> I want to say this now, doing that is a viable business model. You have to understand the model that you're doing though. And the problem is people try to, congl- uh, what is it, gel together the social media and the distribute, like the Spotify, and they're two different models. Mm. That's like the problem. But like, so like he can talk really well about monetizing through streams though in particular and again so like if you i think he would be useful for your audience or to people to figure out some of those things on how to start working with people and start working with playlist curators and start working with labels to get your music out there and heard through that method of distribution as well as again like the touring stuff and his whole backstory on getting into things yeah i love that man yeah we'll have to connect it sounds great thanks and then here's your final question if you were to do one thing that would break the internet, what would it be? <laughs> Stop using it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really dumb, but I would probably like 
if if I don't use the internet, it's broken to me. Like I don't, I don't yeah. like ignorance is bliss. That's it's, what I'll yeah. say. You know what I mean, yeah, so I guess it's really it, a dumb answer, but I think there's like you can't just like unplug the internet, a. Eh? But it's more of um, the sentiment to me that if one person stops using it, then somebody else can stop using it. And you can start the crowd and you can start the network of realizing that these things aren't necessarily the most beneficial for our health. And like literally in my bio right now, talking going back to those 1% conversions, uh, like my conversion rate for my profile moved from about 1% to 10% in like the mm-hmm. past three months. And it was a couple of things that I was working on that did that. But one thing that I did that I changed in my bio was... I've made it say producing music is greater than consuming content. And I noticed when I did that, like my conversion rate jumped up like huge. So it's like, I think that there's this huge, a lot of people are kind of fed up with the idea of social media and how much attention it drains from us. But most people aren't necessarily aware of the overarching long-term impacts that those things will have on us. So like if, I can actually stop using the internet and inspire the next person to stop using it. Like, I think that as a whole, we would be healthier in some ways, you know, Mm -hmm. I think uh, like certain parts of the internet are super beneficial, but I think the social media parts aren't necessarily the, um, have the greatest incentives is how I'll put it. Yeah, no, interesting. Yeah. It's sort of like the idea of reverse network effects, right? Like if I stop using it, maybe people around me stop using it and the people around then stop using it. And then if we're not using it, there's nobody on it. Exactly. Now the yeah. internet's broken. Exactly. Yeah. Now the internet's broken. Right. Gotcha. All right, man. Let's see what, yeah, go ahead. I was, uh, I was gonna say like my, my roommates were like uh, computer science and like uh, computer engineers. And they would probably tell you like some crazy, like hacker thing or something like that, that I could try to describe for you, but I don't think it'd be so beneficial. <laughs> right on. All right, man. I thank you so much for your time, man. I mean, it's just like clear how much work that you've put into all this and, as a result, what you've been able to build. So thanks so much for sharing some of the tips here. Before we get out, like let us know where you want people to go. Where can they find you in order to pick up the drum packs, in order to join your community and help you know further what they're working on? Yeah. So if people want to check me out, uh, you can just go to my Instagram at just Jared Beats and you'll find my stuff and you'll see me referencing other things there. You can check the link in my bio for whatever is the the current thing that's there. But um yeah, there's a, a lot of stuff in terms of content that we talked about today and some of the like different strategies. You can at least kind of take a look over there and see them at play if you want to. And also, I just want to say I really appreciate the the time today and all the, the great questions and actual like thoughtful insight that you provided with a lot of um, the ideas that we talked about, being able to like make them more concise and converge onto specific ideas was was really nice. Cool, man. Yeah, I really appreciate the kind words, man. It's not a compliment is not lost on me. Everybody go follow this man at just Jared Beats on Instagram and tap into the community that he's building because it's it's really, really dope. Thank you for listening to Producer Head. We will catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace. That's it for this episode of Producer Head. I appreciate you coming through and being a part of it. My hope is that it helps you unlock a bit more creativity and find progress in a way that matters to you. Before we go, there are two simple and zero cost ways to support the Producer Head podcast. One, tap in and subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Two, if you haven't already, drop a review on Apple or Spotify, maybe both if you're feeling it. The feedback is appreciated and helps me continue to do what's working while improving along the way. Finally, let's stay connected. I regularly share ideas that help me develop my creative process along with music recommendations and even give away free music and sample packs. 
head to torubeat.com, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T.com and sign up to receive all of these things and stay up on all things producer head. You can also stay connected with me and the podcast at torubeat, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Again, for real, thank you so much for being here with me. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode of Producer Head. This has been Toru, and in a way, so are you. Peace.